Sunday is here. He is alive, he is risen, and the angels proclaimed it. He is not here, for he is risen, just as he said he would. We come to this day, this time of year, Easter. I know many of our kids probably look more forward to Christmas, but Easter is why we celebrate Christmas. He was born so that he could die for our sins. He did not stay in that tomb, but he rose again that we could be forgiven And that's why it is a happy Easter. That's why it is a good Friday. That's why it is a passion week. That's why we gather here this morning in the name of Jesus Christ, allowing God's word to speak to us, to bring us into this understanding of what exactly the empty tomb means. We've been going through this series, uh, as you can see behind me, Journey to the Cross. And it really is a journey to this moment of celebrating what Jesus Christ did and finishing the work and giving up His Spirit and taking our wrath that we deserve from a holy God so that we could be completely forgiven, completely justified, just as if we never sinned before God and declared righteous. We are celebrating the greatest act the world has ever seen today. That is Easter. That is why we are here this morning. As we begin, I would like for you to begin with a question in your mind. A question to begin answering. We started this series by asking about memorable moments in life. And we talked about maybe a birthday or a birth of a son or a daughter or events in life that just kind of gripped us like 9-11 or JFK or things like that. And um, kind of going along with that to put a book note to this series, the question this morning is what would you consider the greatest moment in your life? And you may say some of the same things as the birth of a child or the time that you were married to the one you loved. Maybe it was that moment that you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. He was no longer your mom and dad's Savior. He was your personal Lord and Savior. But if you're having issues on figuring out, you know, what, what would I define as the greatest moment in life? Well, there's good news for you. Uh, there's a book that out that will help you. It is called... The Happiness for Dummies. And in that book, there's a list, if you're familiar with the series, like Cooking for Dummies or Playing Guitar for Dummies or Computer for Dummies. This book gives a list on how we can decide and figure out what the best moments of our life would be. And so here's some of the things from that list, and we'll see if they can help us. So these sort of moments that would be the best moments in your life are going to require your full attention. That's good to know because you don't want to miss it, right? Okay, so these sort of moments in your life are going to involve activities that are challenging and creative. Seems pretty broad, but we'll keep going with it. So these sort of moments, the greatest moments in your life are going to provide an immediate sense of reward. So some of y'all experienced your greatest moment in life this morning when you hit the snooze button, right? I mean, reward. Uh, These moments, these greatest moments, they involve doing something. That's not very helpful either. Okay, they they can occur anywhere. That's good to know. And, And they can come from knowing yourself. I don't know about you, but that list does not help me whatsoever. In defining what would be the greatest moment in my life, in the greatest moment that, that should impact me. For the last five weeks leading today, we've looking at the greatest week in history, which is Jesus' last week as he was paraded into Jerusalem 
as he dealt with the religious hypocrites, as he dealt with people trying to figure out who exactly he was, and eventually he would be crucified. But today we celebrate the greatest day in his resurrection. This is a day that requires our full attention. This is a day that challenges us to live as a new creation. It's a day that if we will respond to it, will give us the deepest sense of reward that nothing on this earth can give us. It's a day that does, in fact, call us to do something. And it's a day that can impact any person, anywhere, and at any time. It's a day that calls us to know who we are and why we need this day. This is Resurrection Sunday. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 17 through 19, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, and you are still in your sins. Those then who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. And if we put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone else. What I want us to grab with this verse real quick before we jump into our main passage this morning is what the Bible is telling us, what God is speaking to us in this moment, is that if the resurrection of Jesus Christ did not happen, then all the preaching we've ever heard and all the preaching that I've ever done or all the times we've ever taught about the Bible has just been a waste of our breath. If the resurrection never occurred, then all the churches and all the people that have come to church today on this day and all the churches that have been built and all the churches that have expanded have been a waste of time. They've been a waste of effort and a waste of land. What God's word says concerning the resurrection, that if it never occurred, then all the offerings and all the tithes that have been collected, they could have been used better somewhere else. If there was no resurrection, then all the confessions of faith that have been made and all those who have died in the faith have simply wasted their life. If there is no resurrection, then all the hours that we have spent in church and throughout our life have been a precious waste of time. If the resurrection did not happen, then everything that happened after it was pointless, it was meaningless, and those who have participated in those activities should be pitied. If the resurrection has not occurred, then it was even worse than us wasting two hours on a bad movie. That's what God says about the resurrection. That if this did not happen, then we should be pitied. Because we have wasted our life. Because God holds nothing back. Matter of fact, if you have your Bibles with you, I want to encourage you to make your way to the Gospel of Luke. Luke is in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So if you come to John, just go back a book. We'll be in Luke chapter 24 primarily this morning. And as you make your way there, if the Bible were telling tales, if the story of Jesus Christ and the story of His resurrection were fiction then the Bible and those who wrote it could have done a much better job. For example, in all four of the Gospels, we're told concerning the resurrection of Jesus Christ that the first witnesses to the tomb were women. And in our culture, that may not seem like a very big deal, but in the culture in which the Gospels were written, in the culture in which the resurrection and the eyewitness of Jesus Christ, it would have made much more sense to place Peter and John at the tomb first that morning The Bible tells us, though, that women were the first to show up. 
But in that day, in the first century, when Christianity was beginning, when Jesus came out of the tomb, women were never, never allowed to be witnesses or to give an account of what they saw. There's a Jewish man by the name of Josephus known as a Jewish historian. And he writes that you are not to allow the testimony to be accepted of women because of the levity, meaning they were not believed to have the appropriate amount of seriousness that it would take to be an eyewitness and the temerity or the recklessness of that sex. And we hear that today and we say, well, that's just sexist. Well, sure, in the 21st century, but in the first century, that was the practice. Women were not allowed to testify or give an account in any sort of law or any sort of court on what they had seen or what they had experienced. Yet all of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all of them tell us that the very first witnesses to the empty tomb on this morning were women. And all the women are recorded of, of, of testifying about the king, kings and Lord of lords. But again, if we were making this story up, if what we find in the scriptures were not true, then the first writers would have pointed again to Peter and John or James or some other man that held some sort of title. Another example we find within the Gospels when it comes to the resurrection of Jesus Christ that it was the opponents of Jesus Christ. They were the ones who remembered the words of Christ and saying that He would rise from the dead. They were the ones that took the appropriate actions to make sure this event did not happen. As they put a rock not only in front of the tomb, which is a normal practice, but they sealed that rock. And then they placed guards at the tomb. They were the ones who, who had this understanding that something could happen, even if they didn't believe it would. And what we find in the Gospels is no matter man's intention, that will never overpower God. And no matter man's might, that cannot stop God's glory. Yet the opponents to Jesus Christ, they did it anyway. The Bible lets us know very plainly that it was not the followers of Jesus, those who would be commissioned to take on the message of Christianity, those who would plant churches and those who would, who would spread Christianity into other people and share the message of Jesus Christ. It was not them who expected Jesus to actually come out of the tomb on the day that we call Easter. But rather it was those who were in opposition to him. The Bible tells us that it was women, the first women, the first witnesses that were heading to the tomb, and they were going, not expecting Jesus to be waiting for them, but instead they were going to take care of a dead body. They were going to that tomb, not with the expectation that he had risen. And when the women were told by an angel that Jesus is alive, that he is not here, and they go and tell the disciples, those closest to Jesus Christ, those who Jesus told repeatedly throughout his ministry that I will rise in three days, that I, I have to go to Jerusalem to be, to be handed over to sinful men. When they hear the testimony of the women who said that he is alive, an angel told us, the Bible tells us that those closest to Jesus, those who looked him in the eye and knew the sound of his voice, who, who got to hold his hand, they didn't believe the women. It may have to do with the credibility of women in that day, but the, still the news of Jesus being alive should have shook them to some sort of response. But all we find is Peter and John running to the tomb because they did not believe. They had to see it for themselves. The Gospels go on to tell us that even after Jesus appeared to Mary and he appeared to two travels on the road, uh, disciples, those who were, who were close and knew about Jesus, they were still the disciples themselves, the apostles that were in doubt. 
When we read through the Gospels, the Bible does not, very paint, does not paint a very strong picture of the first Christians and those who heard the words of Christ. The followers of Christ struggled to believe that Jesus was in fact alive. They would eventually have an encounter with the resurrected Lord that would change everything and almost all of them would eventually die as witnesses to the resurrected Lord in very violent and horrific deaths. Today, the Bible has been banned. It has been outlawed. It has been burned. And many have tried to stop its message. But after 2,000 years, the Word of God and the message of the resurrection is still changing communities, is still changing families and rulers and nations because that's the transforming power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What I want us to grab this morning, some of us here have probably accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And what I hope that we have this morning is a deeper sense of what the resurrection to, should mean to us. For some of us here, we may have just been invited or someone said, it's Easter, you've got to come to church with us. And so we're here. And I want you to understand, I've been praying for you, even though I may not know you by name, and praying that this morning, the power of the resurrection, the power of God's word changes who you are. If you have your scriptures with you, let's pick up in chapter 24 of the Gospel of Luke. and We're going to read 1 through 9 right now. It says, On the first day of the week, that was Sunday in the Jewish calendar. It was very early in the morning, and they came, being the women, came to the tomb. And they were bringing the spices that they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, and they went in but did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men stood by them in dazzling clothes. And so the women were terrified and bowed down to the ground. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? asked the men. He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, It is necessary for the Son of Man to be betrayed and into the hands of sinful men, be crucified and rise on the third day? And they remembered his words. Verse 9, returning from the tomb, they reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. The Gospel of Matthew tells us concerning this account that after the angels told the women that they quickly departed from the tomb with great fear and with great joy. The Gospel of Mark tells us that the women, after they heard the news from the angel, the message that they went out and they ran from the tomb because of trembling and astonishment had overwhelmed them. Here it was, nearly 2,000 years ago, on a Sunday morning, much like today. These group of women were heading to the tomb of Jesus Christ, not expecting Him to be alive like He said He would, but instead to still be in the tomb. Mark chapter 16, verse 3 says that they were saying to one another as they were heading to the tomb, Who will roll away the stone from the entrance for us? Again, these women weren't looking for a resurrection. They were expecting Jesus to still be dead. But this is the power of the resurrection, is that it changes devastation into celebration. These women came to the tomb and they went from gloomy to giddy. And it's the power of the resurrection is that it's meant to change our perspective in life. We are no longer defeated according to the Word of God if we have confessed Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, but now we are victors and conquerors. We are no longer have to live in a fear that the wrath of God will fall upon us. 
Because by our faith in Jesus Christ and by our confession in Him as our Lord and Savior, we are now covered with the righteousness of Christ. And all God sees when He looks at you, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, is His Son's righteousness, His Son's holiness. We no longer have to live in fear, but now we live in that power of God and that authority of God and that love of God. We no longer have to worry about the things of this world because the Lord tells us that we can just seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and that we shall be taken care of. See, the resurrection calls us to change our outlook on life. With the power of the resurrection, we can look into the words of God and we can take everything that God said, no matter how far-fetched, we can take it to the bank. When Jesus says, I came that you may have life and have it abundantly, and now that he's come out of the tomb, we know that he can give it. We know that he can deliver it. When Jesus said, I promise you complete joy when you follow me and you trust me, we can rest assured because he came out of the tomb that his promises are true. When the Bible promises that we who have accepted Jesus Christ, his death for our sins and his resurrection from the dead, that we are no longer in our sin, but we are in the righteousness of Christ and we can now live in that promise. See, Jesus' resurrection is to change everything about us in this life. This is why we're called to live in celebration as believers that death has been destroyed. Satan has been defeated. And our sins have been paid in full now that we are children of God. If, if you've accepted this incredible gift. Not only celebration, but we see with the women here in Luke chapter 24 that the resurrection changes disappointment into hope. The women at the tomb, they run back and they tell the disciples. But when they tell the disciples what the angel told them, the disciples don't believe them. Again, that could be with credibility of women, but the disciples of all people, of all people should have been expecting this. They should have been waiting. But the Bible tells us in verse 12 of Luke chapter 24 that Peter, when he heard, however, he got up and he ran to the tomb. And when he stopped to look in, he saw only the linen clothes, so he went away amazed at what had happened. Peter was amazed. He was in wonder he didn't see this coming for some reason. Remember the last time that Peter saw Jesus Christ was just after he said he did not know him. For the third time, the Bible tells us that when Peter denied Christ for the third time, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the words that Jesus said, you will deny me before the rooster crows this morning. As we gather here, there's not a person in this room, including myself, does not have something in their life that they wish they would have done differently. There's not a person in this room. I don't care how holy and righteous you say you are. There's something in your life that Satan continues to bring up. Remember when you did that? It may have been just this morning. <laughs> but Satan is very good at bringing up our disappointments. But when it comes to the power of the resurrection, what it does is it calls us to trade in our disappointments, trade in our scars, trade in our pain. We lay them at the foot of the cross so we can put, pick up our hope and our future at the empty tomb, at the resurrected Savior. 
We come back to Scripture. You may be here this morning thinking, you know, I don't really believe in the Bible. I don't really believe in this whole Christian thing. Let me say this. If the Bible was fiction, it could have done a lot better job in presenting the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus has been preparing His disciples, those who were closest to Him throughout His earthly ministry for this very moment. He's told them numerous times what was going to happen. And yet after the resurrection, after Jesus rose from the grave and came out of that tomb, it's those closest to Jesus Christ that didn't even recognize Him. The Bible says that there are several occasions in which Jesus showed up and the disciples had no clue who He was. The Gospel of Luke and the Gospel of Mark tell us that on the day Jesus rose, there were two travelers on their way leaving Jerusalem. And as they're walking, they're talking about all the things that had happened during the week of Passover. No doubt speaking about the triumphal entry and, and the teachings of Jesus and the tossing of temple tables and, and then finally the crucifixion. Well, as these two travelers are going along, the Bible tells us that Jesus shows up and he starts engaging in the conversation. In Luke chapter 24, if you want to jump with me to verse 17, Jesus asked them, what is this dispute that you're having with each other as you are walking? And they stopped walking and they looked discouraged. And then the one named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that happened there in the last days? Here's Jesus don't you just love third wheels that come into your conversation? I did a really good job about that out in the foyer trying to engage in conversation I wasn't really invited into. I'm just being like Jesus, okay? Here's these two men just talking, walk along the road, and Jesus shows up. He's known to do this after the resurrection. He just pops in and he pops out. He shows up and kind of inter intercedes or interjects into this conversation, Here's what they're talking about. It says, what are you all, you know, what are you arguing about? What are you doing? They're probably trying to give meaning to everything that just happened. But their response in verse 18 is they, they ridicule, almost condemn the resurrected Savior. They, they say, are you the only one in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened in the last days? They basically look at Jesus Christ and, and they're followers of his in some way, not necessarily the apostles, but they're followers of his. They look at him. They don't recognize him because their, their hearts have been, have been darkened. Their hearts have been blinded because they weren't expecting this to happen. They look at Jesus and say, are you serious? Are you, are you ignorant? Where have you been this last week? How are you not aware of what has happened in Jerusalem? And this is where you've got to fall in love with Jesus Christ all over again. Because if you do not feel he has a sense of humor, look in verse 19. They say, are you serious? Are you ignorant? And Jesus eggs them on. What things? What are you talking about? What do you mean? And so they go on to tell them about Jesus of Nazareth and how he had been crucified and handed over and, and how the women came out saying that, you know, the tomb was empty. But they still don't recognize it was Jesus, even in verse 25 when he says, How foolish and slow you are to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter in his glory? And yet the Bible still tells us that even as Jesus tries to give them understanding, even as Jesus walks with them and talks with them, 
they still don't know that it's Jesus. It isn't until verse 30 where they, they invite Jesus to come inside because it had become evening. It was getting dark. It was no longer safe to travel alone at night. So they invite Jesus to come inside. And verse 30 says, when he broke the bread and blessed it and he gave it to them, then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. But he disappeared from their sight. Here were individuals who lived in the, in the time of Jesus Christ, who witnessed all these things, who heard about some of his teachings and what he was uh, prophesying and proclaiming would happen after three days, and they weren't expecting it at all. Matter of fact, when Jesus showed up right in their life, they couldn't even see him. And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you came this morning with no expectation of God to do anything in your life. Matter of fact, you've already tuned God out. You're already on to what you have planned for this afternoon or what you have planned for lunch or this evening. You're praying for no rain so you can push the kids outside to play in the yard. You're somewhere else and you're not even expecting God to come upon you and come upon your heart. Your heart is blind. It's hard. So that when Jesus Christ tries to show up in your life right here, right now, you can't even see that he's there. So Jesus comes and he gives grace. And after these men realize this is Jesus Christ, they take off running back. And that may not seem like a big thing, but we're told in Scripture that they were about seven miles from Jerusalem. I don't, that, that's, a, that's a nice hike. On top of that, there are two men traveling. Scripture lets us know they're traveling at night, which is dangerous. People don't travel at night on the roads because of thieves and robbers. But what we see with the power of the resurrection is it changes confusion into conviction. Look in verse 34 there of Luke chapter 24. Who said, the Lord has truly been raised and has appeared to Simon. And then they began to describe what had happened on the road and how he was made known to them in the breaking of bread. And you would think at this moment, the disciples like... Hallelujah, praise the Lord, it's really happened, but we're told that they still don't get it. Matter of fact, when Jesus shows up in the next events in verse 37, they were startled and they were terrified and thought they were seeing a ghost. They still did not believe this could happen. These are the people who were closest to Jesus Christ. So you may be here this morning and you're struggling with this idea of Easter and resurrection and God's love and God's mercy. Let me just say, according to the word of God, you're in great company. You're in perfect company. Because that does not hinder God from wanting to come into your life. And the resurrection changes unbelief into commitment and ultimately changes watchers into witnesses. That's why I preach the Word of God. It's because there was a time I was a backslider. I fell away from being in a relationship with God. It became all about church. It became all about the things I would do. You know, as long as I'm at church on certain days and in certain times and I dress a certain way, I must be doing okay. Check, check, check. Better stand when the worship pastor says stand. Close my eyes when they start praying, or at least sounds like a prayer. And I make sure I got my handy-dandy book. And everybody will think I'm okay. But the reality is we can go through the motions of Christianity and still not see Jesus. 
You may have been going to church your whole life and Jesus has been speaking to your heart your whole life. But you've been blind. Thinking that you can do this on your own. Here's the thing. If you and I can do righteousness on our own, then I didn't need Jesus to die. If you and I can, can prove our faithfulness to God and prove that we deserve salvation, I didn't need Jesus to go through what He went through. The power of the resurrection is it changes Everything about me, it changes my commitments. It changes my despair. It changes me from being a watcher in church that now, Lord, I want to be your witness. I want to testify what you've been doing in my life because now I know that you've come out of that tomb and everyone who is yet to accept you, they are going to hell. They're doomed. And now I get to be a witness. I get to testify about the power that the resurrection has changed me from old to new. Hear this, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and see the new has come. I don't know where you are, but let me just tell you what the resurrection has done for me and maybe you can relate. The power of the resurrection has taken all of my sin. It's taken all of my backsliding. It's taken all of my wandering away from the Lord. It's taken all of my checking in and checking out of church. It's taken all of my going through the motions, all of my hypocritical actions, all of my doubts. It's taken all of my fears, all of my stubbornness, all of my defeats, all of my disappointments. It's taken all of my confusion. It's taken all of my unbelief and all of my, my church filling. For me, growing up, it was pew filling. It's taken all of that old stuff, all of that garbage that I thought was the right thing to do. It's taken it all and it's made it completely new. That verse in Scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17 means when I come to Jesus Christ, when I say, Lord, I don't fully understand it. I don't know. I know I won't always did it right. But Lord, I believe you love me that much that you sent your only son to die for my sins, that you punished your son for my sins, my faults, my transgressions. And I don't fully understand it all, but Lord, I know you did it. I believe you did it. I believe you love me that much. The Bible says when I come to that understanding in my heart and I confess it with my mouth that I will be saved. And what God does, he doesn't just come to you and to me and just start putting a little spiritual duct tape on all that junk we have in our life. What God does is he makes it completely new. Completely new. The old is gone. It is completely washed away and new has completely come. The greatest miracle in the history of the world on the greatest day and the greatest week of history was not witnessed by those who should have been expecting it to happen, but rather by those who were attempting to stop it. You may be here this morning, you may be battling with unbelief, and Jesus says, come. You may be here this morning and you're battling with the craziness of scriptures and the craziness of this story alone, and Jesus says, come. You may be here thinking this is the only for those who have cleaned up their life and seem to have their life together. Jesus says, come. You may be here battling questions of disbeliefs and doubts and wondering, you know, about God's love and all that. And Jesus says, come. Because Jesus very plainly said that he did not come to call the righteous, but sinners.
what may be keeping you from the change that needs to happen is the same thing that was keeping those who should have been expecting it. You have a lack of faith in the power of God. You've put God in such a box that you don't believe God could save a sinner like you. You need to know that my God created the heavens and the earth with His voice. So you're not beyond His reach. You may be here and you have a lack of faith in the love of God. God would never love me if He actually knew what I did. Well, here's the good news and bad. God knows everything about you. There's not a thing in your life hidden from Him. He knows everything about me, and yet God says, come, accept my gift. You may be here and you have a lack of faith in the grace of God. Well, I've just got to get things together. I've got to start acting better. I've got to start going to church at least before I accept this, this gift of love. And God says, no, if it was about what you could do, then you could boast about it. But it's not about what you bring to the table. It's what I've already done for you. That's why it's grace. You might be here lack, doubting the work of God. And that's why we return to the cross one more time. And as Jesus was on the cross, right before he gave up his last breath, he said that it is finished. And what Jesus meant by that, when he said it is finished, he meant that he has taken all of the wrath for all of the sin in all of the world for all of the time upon himself. And he has completed the work. I don't know where you are this morning, but this is why Easter is so important. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but are justified freely. That word justified means just as if you never sinned in the first place. You're justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The Bible tells us in Romans 6.23, that the wages or the cost of our sin is death. The word death in Scripture means eternal separation from a loving God. What that means is if you have yet to accept Jesus Christ because you've had all these reasons why you can't, the Bible says that if you've yet to accept Him, that you are going to be cut off from God forever. The Bible is very clear. There's only two destinations after this life is over. There's heaven and there's hell. And that's what death is speaking about. Our cost, our wage of sin is death. But, oh, that's a beautiful but. <laughs> free gift. Free gift. Eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's free. And God extends it this morning. And why does He do it? Because God loves you. The Word of God says in John 3.16, For God so loved you, so loved the world, so loved me, despite our messes, despite our failures, God loved us in this way. And He gave His one and only Son. There was no plan B. God went all in for you. He gave His one and only Son that whoever would believe in Him, believe in the work of Jesus, believe in the empty tomb, would not perish, would not be cut off from God, but we'd be given eternal life. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 10, 9 through 10, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Notice it does not say that you have to have your act all together. It does not say you even need to own a Bible at this moment. 
It says, all you need to do is believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and confess with your mouth that you will be saved. For the one that believes in his heart resulting in righteousness and the one confessed with his mouth resulting in salvation. You may be here this morning, you've had no expectation of God saying anything to you whatsoever. You're just here because it's Easter and it's the thing you do at Easter. But understand this, God does not want you to leave here lost. Jesus died on the cross. They placed him in a tomb and he came out three days later so that we could be saved. And when he did this, this is why he's able to say, and the Bible tells us in John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the only way. I am the truth, the only truth. And I am the life, the one who wants to give you life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What Jesus did is just eliminated every good thing we thought we could do to get to heaven. And he painted very clear. And the beauty of it is it's a free gift. I don't know where you are this morning, but that may be where you need to be. You need to accept God's gift as he hands it out to you right now in this moment. You may be here this morning and you've already accepted that gift, but you have not been allowing the power of the resurrection to actually change you. We've won. <laughs> We won. Satan no longer has power over us. We have won. But if you're here this morning and you need Jesus, I'd like to pray for you real quick. Father, please be with us in this moment, in this time, as your word has been spoken, the power of your resurrection has been revealed that those who should have expected it have not expected. And Lord, I know in this moment there are people here who have gone through the motions just like I used to. There are people here who have, have backslidden away from you and have lost their first love for you. There's people here, Lord, that you have spoken to in ways that I can't even imagine that need to come to a time of response. But Lord, most importantly, there are people here who need to accept you as their Lord and Savior for the very first time. This needs to be the day of their salvation. So in this moment and in this time, I ask that your spirit just do in them what can only be done through your spirit. I praise you your word does not come back void. I praise you that you are faithful to your word. And you desire every single individual in this room, in this moment, to be saved. like everyone to keep their eyes closed and their head bowed. If you're here this morning and you know you've yet to accept Jesus Christ, that you right now are sitting in this room on the wrong side of eternity, that you are lost, that God is calling out to you to accept his love for you so you might be found and saved. And you're here this morning, you know that's you. You know you're not saved. And you want that to change because you believe God loves you. You want that to change today. I just want you to pray this prayer in, in your head quietly to yourself. I'll lead you. Just talk to God. You're not talking to Pastor Mike right now. Every head's bowed, every eye's closed. And if you know you've yet to be saved and you want that to change, here's what I want you to say to your Heavenly Father. Dear God, I am a sinner. I need your forgiveness. Thank you, Lord, for loving me. 
sending your son to die for my sins. Rise again that I could be forgiven. I believe you love me. I believe you did this. And I now trust you as my Savior and Lord. If you're here this morning and that is the first time you've ever prayed that prayer, you ever first time you've ever told God you want His gift of love, and I just ask that everybody just keep your eyes closed, your heads bowed. If you're here and that's, that's where you were, if you would have the courage just to put your hand up in the air, there's nobody looking around. Maybe you're here this morning and you just know you've kind of gotten into the routine. And that needs to change. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this day. Lord, thank you for for loving us. And Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ in this room. Lord, I thank you you've moved me from just watching you do what you do to being a witness and testify. And Lord, let us be filled with the power of your spirit in this moment, filled with your power that we are called to be witnesses in this world. Father, let us proclaim that you've changed us and let us testify to the power of that change. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters of Christ who have been wrestling, just going through the motions, just kind of checking in and checking out. us with your love. Overwhelm us with what you've done for us. Thank you for this day. Thank you for everything you've done. You alone are worthy of our praise. We pray us all in the name of Jesus Christ, our risen Lord and Savior. Amen. God has spoken to your heart. I invite you to come. Let's stand as we sing.